I'm Evan Applegate. I'm a professional cartographer, and on very expensive maps, I talk to better cartographers. This week, you'll hear from Simon Polster, who uses volunteer collected data and drone imagery to create hiking maps of Armenia while donating all of the collected data to the OpenStreetMap project. This makes the data free for anyone to use. This is unique because teaching yourself to make a topo map is hard. Collecting the topo data yourself is even harder, and giving away that data in a structured way is, oof, wow. I'm Simon Polster. I live in Königswusterhausen, which is uh, just south of Berlin, and I'm, I'd call myself a map maker. What was your start in map making? Well, I studied geography in Berlin, and uh, we did a few maps there, but nothing. We never really dove deep into this whole map making thing, but I always really enjoyed making them. Then I did a semester abroad in Svalbard, little Norwegian island close to the North Pole. There we did, uh, we did a lot more map making and I really liked it. We did a lot of bathymetry mapping with the multi-beam sonars with the boat where we collected the data and then had to make maps out of that. Then later on, my introduction into making maps for retail was a little bit later. Uh, I was looking for an internship and a few years earlier I was hitchhiking from Iran to Berlin and spent quite a long time in the Caucasus and really liked it there. So my plan was to do an internship somewhere in the Caucasus with some cool organization. I was looking around and got introduced to an organization called Transcaucasian Trail. At that time, they were planning to build a long distance hiking trail through Armenia and Georgia and Azerbaijan, the kind of the first longer distance hiking trail in the region. So I thought that was perfect. I could work for them and uh, go out into this beautiful nature and do trailblazing and exploring. And those are kind of all things I, I really enjoy. What they actually really need is maps because there's no maps of the area. And ideally I could help them make maps and generate data for apps to use because um, there isn't really anything there and that they actually don't need me to come to the Caucasus at all. I could stay in my little flat in Berlin and just work remotely. So at first that was a little bit of a bummer, but then uh, I actually discovered that it's a lot of fun to make maps and to collect this data and do all that. So I really got into it and together with another guy that I was working for that was with TCT, together we kind of developed this map the hiking map of the Diligent National Park was our first big project. And for that, we also decided to create a little company called Cartizan. And that's how it started. Are you still affiliated with the Transcaucasian Trail? Did you ever end up making that map of the entire thing across Armenia and Azerbaijan? They're still working on that. They finished almost all of Armenia. At the moment, we're working on creating a guidebook for the Armenian section and yeah, I'm making the maps for that. So yeah, definitely, I'm still I'm still working with them. I also uh, make like trailhead maps that get put at the start of sections and have a few topographic maps of Armenia that we made. 
what's the process, for example, for making the Tatev map or that first national park map? So we have a, a few people on the ground who kind of go around with their smartphone and a very basic app that collects georeferenced uh, data. They can do voice recordings and pictures and notes, but notes take a long time. So usually they just do voice recording and then we transcribe it. Yeah, we collect all that data. We work very closely with OpenStreetMap. It's a great platform for collecting and processing all this data. And it's also very much what we want to do is to share the data that we've collected and not just kind of gatekeep it into our paper maps because most people out in the field also rely on their phones. And that's how it starts. The past years, we've also added some drone collections. So there's the TCT people have a small drone that they can use in areas where the satellite imagery is not so good or DEMs is also not that good. So we collect all of that. Then we also extract a lot of data from old to uh, Soviet topo maps, which are kind of the only other maps that were available in the region. The TCT people have digitized all, all the 25K scale topo maps of Armenia and uh, clipped them together into one giant WMS service that we can just load into JOSM, which is the software we use for doing OpenStreetMap edits. So that's really fantastic. And into JOSM, we can also load the drone imagery and then just trace it directly from there together with all the voice recordings. And from that, we upload everything into OpenStreetMap and then we download it from there again to create our maps together with other sources we can find. I mean, the problem was there's really wasn't any maps available. Google Maps was really poor, still is pretty poor in Armenia. The best bet was OpenStreetMaps, but that's also, it's as good as the people that kind of make it. And there wasn't many people creating OpenStreetMap data outside of the cities in Armenia. So we did a lot of mapping. So your canonical map lives in OSM, and then you download it and style it. What's the actual map production look like? We just use um, open source software. So it's uh, mainly QGIS that we do it. Usually, or usually I also start with creating the hill shading and the, all the terrain stuff, then slowly add the other data, which is mainly open street map data, but also from little sources here and there that we can find. Sometimes we get stuff that people don't want to get put on OSM because it's uh, the license is once it's on OSM, anyone can use it and do whatever they want with it. And sometimes we get some things from the like directly from the Armenian cadaster governmental office, and then they ask us to just use it for our maps. The hill shading is kind of, it's a topic I always get back to and try out different things. I've tried out a lot of different software. For a while I was doing it in Blender. Now I do mostly in QGIS together with this little Python script called Raster Chunk Processor, where you can make a sky model terrain shading, hill shading. Then I blend a lot of slope layers, three different slope layers with the, that are generalized differently together with three different standard hill shades that I think I usually generate in QJS or in terrain sculpture and then add the sky model terrain at the end. 
and then just blend it all together with various blending <laughs> blending styles and play around with it until it looks okay. Yeah, that's the hardest part, the final fidget. Yeah, for sure. But it's also a lot of fun. The actual final compositing is in GIMP or Inkscape? Almost all is done in QGIS. Sometimes, depending on the product, I will export the vectors and the raster separately and then combine it in Inkscape. But I can, uh, a lot of it I can do directly in QJS. Then the only problem is color correction in the end because QJS only does RGB, which is a bit annoying for me because also this whole color field is something I'm not super good at trying to get into it. For the last map, I did everything in Krita, the color correction. In the end, I thought the colors that actually came out of the printer were not quite as good as I would have liked them to be. But it's a working progress. I mean, for this first map, it was also, I don't know, it took us two years probably to make. And after a year, we were pretty sure we were almost done. Two years for the National Park map? Uh, yeah. And for that one, we also um, ran a crowdfunding to finance all of it and kind of to get us started with our little venture, um, which also took a lot of time. I'm still very happy with that, with that map. I think it's pretty good. But there's also lots of things we do differently now, of course. Like for that map, we also uh, we invested in kind of a commercial digital elevation model for the contour lines and hill shading. It wasn't really worth it. I mean, it costs a couple thousand dollars. So now we um, we have the drone to kind of collect DEMs for the tricky areas. And then we blend it together with the with freely available DEMs. We generalize the areas that are pretty flat. We generalize it quite a lot because there's a lot of there's usually lots of artifacts that come into when the slope is mainly flat. And then the steeper areas get generalized less. And then the very tricky areas we have this drone imagery that works pretty well. We're, we're quite happy with this uh, workflow. You take SRTM or something and then blend it with, is it the drone LiDAR or are you doing this photogrammetrically? We do it with the drone deploy. So it's kind of just from the imagery, they create a DEM. So not a DEM, but a surface model, but which is fine because we mostly use it for the cliffs. So it takes pictures from different angles and then creates a DSM out of it. You said the collectors use audio notes. What are they logging over audio? They log like, oh, there's lots of dogs here or something like that. But good notes are, you know, there's uh, springs, the surface of the road, or if there's trails. So we have trouble finding anything that's in the, that's under forest cover, of course, from our uh, aerial imagery and small tracks, stuff like that. So all of that, they collect um, points of interest, ruins, waymarks, interesting stones. We also put interesting stones on our maps. All these POIs like shops and hospitals and pharmacies, bridges, a lot of that. What's best for us, probably the most useful is the springs and all these trails that are under trees. We're pretty lucky that Armenia doesn't have a lot of forest. It's mainly kind of grassland. So that makes it a lot easier to just create the data from the aerial imagery, which has also gotten a lot better over the years. Um, when we started for the Dilija National Park maps, 
it was really coarse quality and there was one provider that had a little bit better quality but it was in uh, grayscale so then we kind of had to always switch between the grayscale imagery and the color imagery to see what we were actually mapping and now it's gotten almost as good as the imagery in, in western countries that is available for for mapping on osm has any armenian cadastral service shot this aerial footage there's a few providers that kind of provide it for free to use to map for osm so that's also why we're so focused on osm yeah it's the first time i've ever heard of hiking trail mapper adding so much to osm it's also the first i've heard of it it was uh, born out of necessity but a lot of the hiking apps use osm data as well so it's it is a good fit so pretty much all hiking apps have various data sources and one of the data sources is also always osm for areas where there's nothing else available you said you went back to berlin to do all the mapping have you hiked these yeah we did uh, we kind of did a little field testing mission with our uh, freshly printed we had just like one or two printouts of the diligent topo maps and then we met up in armenia to field test it and hike around the national park for a few days which was a lot of fun and we discovered some things that didn't work quite as well as we thought it would. And still not as much as I would like to, but but that was a lot of fun. And I'm still planning in a few years to to hike the full TCT once it's actually ready. How long will the TCT be? A couple thousand kilometers, probably. One to two thousand, I would say. Are you a big thru-hiker backpacker in Germany? I really like hiking. But I haven't done very much of long distance hiking. I had kind of these years where I was traveling a lot and I hitchhiked whenever it was possible. And then did a little, so did a little bit of hiking, maybe like cross a, cross a mountain range or something on foot and then hitchhiked some more. During that time, I didn't have, uh, my equipment was really horrible. I mean, I had a huge heavy bag and I couldn't, it was just not really feasible to hike for super long. Didn't have your $900 boots? Nope. <laughs> no. Had you made a big hiking topo before taking on this TCT project? No, not at all. That was really my first uh, dip into this whole topo map making thing, um, which is also why it took a while for us to figure it out. It's such a niche product we were making since there's just no competition in Armenia so we could start slow and get better over time I'm really enjoying making these topo maps I can do them quite all right and now I'm kind of starting to expand into other map styles as well do you make maps professionally outside of this a little bit yeah it's starting now that I'm doing more freelance work also in Germany for just anybody that wants, wants a map, which is usually research institutes or some institutes that need for some reports or something need uh, thematic maps to show whatever they were working on, the results of their studies. That's also a lot of fun. It's kind of a different way of thinking. You don't care so much about the reality in these topo maps. It's uh, You want to be as accurate as possible and just show what's actually on the ground the thematic maps it's very different you just want to show what whatever data you can present in the correct way yeah the geography is knocked back so far compared to a topo 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I still uh, I still do it in QGIS because that's kind of <laughs> what I learned, but it's not really necessary because, you, as you said, the geography is is pretty far back. Do you do your label placement in QGIS too? Yeah, for sure. I find it pretty straightforward. I do it almost all of it manually, you know, clicking and dragging it around. All the changes that are done locally stored in a separate file so I can change the underlying data so I can update the OpenStreetMap data and all the labels that I manually moved will still be in place. Yeah, so it works. It works really well for me. And also, I have a lot of extra fields in this um, data set for all the local changes, the spacing of the lettering or which way it's oriented. We also have the issue that we all our topo maps are dual language, so Armenian and English. That complicates some things as well. So then there's a lot of extra fields to kind of compensate for everything. Now I really, I have like these 10 fields <laughs> to, to, uh, for every use case. Then something new comes up and I add another field <laughs> to save something. It's a very thickly documented topo map. It's unique in a lot of ways. One, I've never met any topo mapper who actually does the label placement in QGIS. And two, <laughs> they don't feed back into the OSN database. <laughs> and three, having to deal with a different language on top of all that. Yeah, maybe there's a reason that we're kind of so unique. <laughs> Do you speak Armenian or read the alphabet there? No, no. So who's filling all the fields with the Armenian names? The Armenians from TCT. Most of the names are kind of already on OSM, or we collect from, I don't know, there's like these databases named Geo or something, geonames.ml that has some stuff that's useful and a lot of stuff that's not useful, and you kind of have to sift through that. But yeah, I, yeah we work with with a lot of Armenians that help us. And are these trailhead maps derived from the topo maps you're making, or are they totally separate? No, they're totally separate. It started out being very closely derived from the from our topo style, but then over the course of time, I kind of discovered that it's not it's not really what is needed for people at the trailhead. They don't need this super detailed 25k topo map that has every elevation point and uh, so many detailed contours and stuff. It's better for them to just have an overview and have like the important POIs and remove some clutter and make it more more appealing kind of for the average hiker. So I've changed the styles around to have it more thematic hiking maps. Also, I'm much more flexible with with the scale. So in the Topo maps, we really want to have the 25k scale because that's kind of what we're so used to using and other trail users we've talked to are it's also what they what's kind of the best fit for them it's, it makes it easy when you don't have to rethink how big a square is and it's just always four centimeters as a kilometer we're fairly strict with the scale um, constraint for the topo maps but then for the trailhead maps you can just it can go crazy do you tend to zoom in or zoom out for the tra- trailheads it really depends on the trailhead. I have this giant QGIS project that semi-automatically adjusts to the scale, and that's set from 8,000 to 60,000. 
and and then you know then i say it's it's all set up it takes forever to set up but then i think in the next project it will be so much easier but then something different or new comes up and i'm like i ah, know actually i have to redo this everything because it doesn't work anymore you make a template and it's totally unique anyway pretty much and i'm thinking like you know then for the next uh, trailhead maps it will be perfect but so far it hasn't happened i think one day <laughs> i'm close to it actually happening though i think because these trailheads are kind of all over the country i used to just download the data and use it from there but now that's not really become feasible anymore because it's just too big so I've set up database with uh, SQL and that kind of changes everything again. <laughs> so that's what I'm working on now to just have this one giant database that almost automatically updates its uh, OSM data. And then I can just create the maps from there. Was this whole workflow just you? More or less. First it was Alessandro and then he kind of took me along as the expert, but you know, I was completely not an expert as well. And slowly I started taking over this, the map making part of it, trying out things, reading a lot of blogs. I mean, it's a, this whole cartography um, group of people is, it's fantastic. Like people share so much and uh, definitely self-taught because the stuff I learned at uni, I kind of, I had to unlearn <laughs> to, in order to make the maps <laughs> better. It's a lot of fun and, uh, and I'm still definitely feeling like I'm at the beginning of learning everything there is to know. There's a lot of great cartographers out there. Do you do the drone deploy processing too? Uh, yeah. So you set up the databases, stitch together in your own completely unique Soviet topo reference data set backfill to OSM, process the imagery, and do the cartography and the printing? More or less, yeah. And the selling also. <laughs> you mailing them too? Yeah, I am. The maps are kind of in our basement, and whenever an order comes in, I bring it to the post office. <laughs> E-commerce fulfillment on top of everything else. Were you in contact with any other cartographers while making this? Did you email people and say, hey, how do you handle this? Not all too much, because I didn't really know any. I was mostly just following, doing tutorials and watching YouTube videos and trying things out. And doing a lot of research on my own. I spent hours in, in map shops looking at all the various topo maps that are available. And also used topo maps a lot myself, so kind of knew what I liked. Was there a topo map that you were going for? Like, I want it to look like this one. We really liked the the classic Swiss topo maps. We were kind of going after that, but it looks completely different. The Swiss topo map was a bit, we thought it was a little bit too classic, you know, like with a very strong serif writing and, and it's very, very classic. We wanted to make like a modern interpretation of that. <laughs> then the Ordnance Survey maps from Britain are also great. Tom, the guy who started the TCT, he's from Britain and he really knows the Ordnance Survey maps. They don't use a hill shade though, so it's also quite different. Do you remember what tutorials or people you were looking to when putting this together? Definitely Daniel Huffman kind of started it all. <laughs> I think I followed all of his tutorials. Anita Grazer, she does a lot of QGIS stuff. Klaus Carlsen, he's a Swedish guy. I think of him as the John Nelson of QGIS because he 
also there's a lot of YouTube uh, videos on, on small little cartographic issues that you can solve in QJS. Tom Patterson, Kenneth Field, Sarah Bell. Do you derive most of your income from mapping? Pretty much, yeah. From the freelance thematic mapping? Yeah, and the trailhead maps. So, I mean, this, uh, the selling of the topo maps, it's not, it's a triple, but it's, yeah, a little bit comes in, but it's definitely not enough to sustain a living. Do you wholesale the trail maps, like mail a crate off to an Armenian hiking shop? Yeah, so we also have a wholesale company that kind of covers all the map stores in Europe. Then we have uh, people in Armenia that take care of the, all the sale points within Armenia. Yeah, at least half comes um, over our web shop. And that's also, I mean, it's also super fun because it's really all over the world. People buy these maps and that's uh, always a little geography lesson with my child when we send a map off to wherever, <laughs> South Korea or Australia. Armenian diaspora is really quite global. I think a, a lot of them are also our customers. And then also just adventurers, I would say. Now, since uh, two seasons, the TCT in Armenia is kind of open to the general public. And the first, the people that hike it now are, uh, yeah, are kind of the trailblazers. Have you gotten emails from people saying, hey, you got to change this. I walked on this. Surprisingly little. I was uh, I was hoping for more. I mean, I always ask people to to tell us if they come across something. It's happened a little bit, but not that much. I don't know. The barrier for people to then actually follow up on something that's wrong might be a bit high. Could also be good news. The map's so good, people don't feel any need to criticize. Yeah, but that's uh, that's definitely not true. <laughs> it's crazy how fast things move in Armenia. I'm also like coming from Germany, I'm not really used to that. All of a sudden there's a huge giant road that gets constructed, that gets kind of planned and constructed within a year that plows over all of our beautiful hiking trails. Because also this, uh, the whole hiking infrastructure is done pretty much independent of the government. Not a whole lot of contact between these hiking associations and the government. And there's no discussion of where to put the roads or if they, okay, it's a nice hiking area, we'll put the road somewhere else. That doesn't really happen. Do you have multiple maps where you have to update them? You can't walk here. There's a super highway. It's also a problem because we would really, really love to have print-on-demand maps because after two years, they're kind of outdated and we haven't sold all that much. It is a problem. And also this whole trail network, it's also evolving the whole time. So they're trying out new trails and then ones that don't work get overgrown again and, or there's no maintenance for a certain section. It's very much fluid. That's kind of a big project for next year is to update our Diligen National Park map. The trailheads, it's not that difficult to update because the printing is not that expensive. Well, I appreciate that end-to-end, -end, Simon. Never would have imagined that it involved so much. I mean, they look nice, but usually I'm like, oh, yeah, they pulled the data, they make it look cute. But, like, you got to generate the data, i got to maintain the data, i got to worry about rapid infrastructure development. That's also when I, I don't know, follow along some tutorials, and they're like, okay, so then you pull the data here, and then you just like, oh, <laughs> screw you. <laughs> and I know you mentioned Patterson, Sarah Bell, Anita Grazer. Are there any other cartographers whose work you like that people should check out? I really like also uh, Andrew Tyrell, does New Zealand maps. 
they're really amazing. And I copy learn a lot from him just by looking at his maps. It's amazing what people can make with just open source tools and a little bit of time and enthusiasm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's also kind of why we we're so happy to at least give all this data <laughs> to the federal public. That's like our, our little contribution and thank you for <laughs> using all this cool software for no money. Yeah, you feed it back. Yeah, we try. Well, I want to thank you, Simon, for taking the time to explain all this to me. I feel like I vastly underestimated what went into these. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. It was, uh, yeah, it was fun. Bye. See Simon's work at cartisan.org. C-A-R-T-I-S-A-N dot org. For show notes and bonus content, visit veryexpensivemaps.com. This episode is brought to you by the Map Consultancy, supplier of professional, data-driven maps for your decks, reports, walls, and events. Visit themapconsultancy.com to see what good maps can do for you. I'm Evan Applegate, I'm a cartographer, and you should make your own maps. No one wants to see dull, ugly maps. If you want to get through to your customers, you need the best cartography money can buy. The Map Consultancy will create maps with your data and your branding, PowerPoint decks, annual reports, conferences and events, your office walls. The Map Consultancy does it all. Visit themapconsultancy.com and get the best maps today.